0: Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper. And BIV.com,
1: I'm Kirk LePoint. I'm Tyler Orton. BIV is once again seeking BC's outstanding entrepreneurs, executives, managers and professionals in public, private and nonprofit sectors for the 2018 40 Under 40 Awards. Nominations close July 30th. You better get there quick. Go to biv.com slash events for more details.
0: And a range of innovative disruptive technology has emerged to provide financial services and systems that conduct transactions and aim for greater efficiency. Join us September 13th for BIV's FinTech panel, where we're going to discuss how to help small and medium-sized businesses make informed decisions in this new landscape. Again, for more information, go to biv.com slash events.
1: This week marks the one-year anniversary since the B.C. NDP formed government through an alliance with the B.C. Greens. Earlier this week, we spoke to B.C. Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson about the province's biggest developments since last summer. And today, B.C. Housing Minister Selena Robinson, she joins us to offer her perspectives on the government's performance.
0: And later on, B.C. Green Party leader Andrew Weber a real. Uh, central point, I think, in the last year in Indeed. political change. He's going to join us to discuss his alliance with the BCNDP and how far he's willing to go to support the government. But first, let's talk to Housing Minister Selena Robbins.
1: Well, this week, our next guest marks the one-year anniversary of being sworn into provincial cabinet. And it's been an eventful year for the BC NDP as they've navigated hot issues like the housing market and the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And joining us today to offer her perspectives on the government's past year in office, it is the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, Selena Robinson. Minister, thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Totally quiet uh, file that housing file. Yeah, nothing not not much it, to talk
2: <laughs>
1: about there. You've had, you've had an idle <laughs> yeah. idle year, haven't you? Been kind of. <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> what? you
1: guys are too funny. No. <laughs> you're way too funny.
0: No, no, no. Let's let's get serious about it. It, it. What what have been the principal challenges in in getting up to total speed on this, and knowing that the public expectation is almost off the charts on housing?
2: Well, uh, we know that that people have really been struggling. Uh, when, uh, when John Horgan asked me to take on this file um, I, I knew um, what what the challenges were um, this housing crisis didn't manifest overnight it's been coming for some time um, and watched it from the sidelines and certainly I, I come from local government and saw it you know uh, really manifesting back in 2010 2011 2012 we were really starting to see it even then
0: is there something like a generalized strategy that you wanted to undertake and that the the, the government wanted to undertake around the specific issues, say, in Metro Vancouver?
2: Well, we knew we needed to take a, a multi-pronged approach. And I know that there's lots of debate about whether it's supply or whether it's demand. And and our, our position and in, in the work that I've done with Carol James as Minister of Finance is that it's a multi-pronged approach, which is why we put together our 30-point plan, recognizing that there's many different places where we need to uh, make some changes in order to address What has been, you know, a a significant challenge? Not just in the Lower Mainland. It's I, What surprised me in terms of my early learnings was that it's affecting um, all parts of British Columbia. And even, even uh, some rural communities are really struggling with housing affordability.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, if we go back to the municipal level, <laughs> I am curious about your own experience as a city councillor and looking at, I, I would say that there's sometimes a lot of nimbyism when it comes to maybe densification. And, and there are some challenges with regards to getting zoning going on on the municipal level. Do you think that the municipalities need to step up to a certain degree, be willing to make a lot of changes? And will the government be willing to I don't know, put the pressure valve on them to a certain degree as well?
2: Well, this housing crisis is something that we all need to be working on. It's not just the purview of the provincial government or local government that we need to be working together, which is why, you know, one of the, you know, we, what we did this last spring was we brought in rental only zoning, um, which is what some of the local governments had been asking for directly as another tool that will help them protect some of the affordable, you know, some of the rental stock, because we all know that affordable, that rental hasn't been built for 40 years uh, in this province, and that's certainly contributed to it. So looking for a uh, number of tools uh, to uh, to make that happen. And certainly, you know, local governments um, have been, you know, asking for some help uh, in terms of making sure that they have uh, the tools that they need to make uh, housing, the right kind of housing more available. And the other thing that I learned when I was on council was, um, you know, we knew that the Evergreen Line was coming when I was there. It's since arrived and it's it's excellent. It's fabulous to have it. But we were approving um you know, hundreds of units of um housing of of you know towers and but they were all six hundred square foot units. Right. And I remember asking the developers, why do why are they only six hundred square foot units? Like where are people going to downsize to, people who have, have you know ready to to shift from single family, and where are families going to, you know, live? And they kept saying it's well the market demands it. And what we've since learned in Coquitlam, I can certainly say, you either live in a three thousand or larger square foot home, or a six hundred square foot apartment. Those are the choices. Yeah, and missing, we're missing an uh, important middle, middle, uh, middle range housing.
0: Tell me, you've had a year now to to examine all of this uh, in a, inside uh, government. Uh, can you talk about how it is that you personally wanted to try to, in a way, reset public expectations about how swiftly governments can move on this. You talk about a 40-year plan, you know, 40 years of not building rental housing, uh, you know, a problem taking a long time to get out, you know, get out of the ditch on in a certain way. What about you and what you've tried to do in terms of being rational about expectations for the public?
2: Um, I think, I think when I, when I, well, when I talk with people and I explain to them what we've been doing, first of all, they're, they're, um, surprised at how quickly we have been moving on a variety of steps. Um, Everything from, you know, the rapid response to homelessness and the shelter supports, uh, the the homes, the supportive housing that we've been doing um, that addresses homelessness, as well as, you know, getting in rental zone, rental only zoning um, relatively quickly. And I, and people appreciate that it, it, does take time to see some changes, but we've also been working um, with the Residential Tenancy Act and making sure that tenants and landlords have an opportunity to um, have a a better working relationship um, so that we can uh, get some fairness um, in that system as well. So while we're looking at uh, bringing um, some of the supply issues online, which will take some time, We're doing um, lots of things in between to make sure that the system works better for people because at the end of the day, this is really about making life better for people um, and the people who live and work here um, and make a life here and raise their families here and grow old here. They want to have a decent life and, and everything that we're doing is about working towards that and people understand that.
1: Just recently, you you signed an agreement with Ottawa. It's nearly $1 billion worth. It's going to get about 34,000 units preserved here in British Columbia for affordable housing. But the government's also promised a total of 114,000 units. I'm wondering how you work at bridging the gap here that still exists, even though you guys are making progress right now.
2: Well, we, we, we recognize from the get go that, uh, this is not, uh, the, this housing crisis is not something that, um, any one government or level of government can, can tackle on its own. So we need to have three levels of government and First Nation working together in order to deliver on, uh, the significant housing gap that we have and the, d- the diversity of housing needs that we have that we we have before us. So part of what we've been doing is reaching out and I've been spending a good part of the year reaching out to various, um, partner opportunities. Uh, so every, everyone from the private sector, the, uh, the home builders association, the urban development Institute, individual developers, um, and, um, and, and the faith community. And I want to just speak a moment about the faith community and the opportunities that are there. Um, we've already launched, um, the Housing Hub, which is a a new branch that we've started of BC Housing, whose sole task it is to identify uh, partners who uh, will work with us Mm -hmm. um, and all other potential partners to deliver on some of that what we call missing middle housing, where it doesn't need government subsidy necessarily, but there's opportunity to um, deliver on affordable housing for that for people who have middle income ranges, who can't get stable rental or can't get into the market, um, and so need a little bit of a creative solutions. And so um, we've been do- doing that work, and we've made announcements already with 400 units of, a- of affordable rental for targeted to to families making between fifty and eighty-five thousand a year,
0: we could probably talk for hours about the we housing <laughs> issue. I'm sure. I'm sure you do every day. Uh, <laughs> that being said, uh, I wanted to ask one last question about housing before we uh, get to some other topics, and it has to do, of course, with uh, with the two taxes uh, that I think have raised a great deal of publicity. The one being the speculation tax, the second one being the tax uh, called a school tax. And I wonder whether you can, after a year, uh, again assess these and say these are in in my portfolio and in the time that I've had these taxes to examine that there have been some un- unintended consequences. These haven't gone as smoothly as we wished.
2: Well, they haven't been implemented yet. Yeah. So, yeah. so, I mean. But the reaction's you know, been pretty, so,
0: pretty strong. So, yeah.
2: so the, the, the reaction is, uh, is strong, but they haven't been implemented. And so mm-hmm. um, I know that uh, in my conversations with Carol James, we, you know, we have a, a plan to, you know, monitor very closely how the, once they're implemented, you know, what are the impacts monitoring um, everything from housing starts to housing prices and uh, keeping an eye on it and, and, and. You know, people appreciate that um, we, you know, we, we need to address uh, um, the the curve of of housing costs that were going up into they, they were stratospheric, mm-hmm. and people were begging for some intervention that would lower that lower that curve, bring it to something a little bit more sane, um, and that's and that's what these um, interventions are about.
1: Mm -hmm. If we just transfer to maybe the the next most divisive thing in in politics here, why don't we talk a little bit about the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion that created a, a big split, a big divide between a lot of British Columbians here. How do you feel? How would you grade the government's performance on this where we see a lot of pushback from both sides with regards to this topic here?
2: We're doing what we said we would do we would use every tool in our toolkit in order to address um, a particularly challenging project Um, and uh, um, making sure that we protect our coast has been the most critical thing. And, and, you know, hearing from um, the number of people who have whose, whose livelihoods uh, depend on having a a, a clean coastline. uh, There are thousands and thousands and thousands of families that rely on um, the industry of having a, a clean coastline, whether it's fisheries, and, uh, tourism, um, there, that, that is, um, we have to protect that and that's what this has been about.
0: Yeah. I, we have to point toward the, the next year as well and talk about the, uh, you know, the, the, the impending referendum around proportional representation. And, and I have to say, when I talk about PR with, with other people, they, they say, I don't understand why, why does the NDP government want PR? Here it is on the cusp of having a majority potentially in the next election. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why undo what you're about to get?
2: Well, what what we want to have is fair elections, um, and it's so. While some might think it's about. You know power, um, and I do believe we have you know great ideas that we want to implement and that we 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 want to deliver for British Columbians, and we are delivering for British Columbians. We also want a fair democracy, um, and I and I when people you know uh, struggle with uh, with PR and the the notion of PR, I talk about my experience again on local government, where you know you get. Um, a number of people around a table, there's nine of us, and I have to convince four other people to work with me on an idea, and then we can get something to happen. And so it forces me to do my homework, it forces me to make sure I have the support that I need. And uh, rather than having these huge swings back and forth, we actually get, I think, really good decisions when you um, when you have a PR system, uh, because it forces people to work together. And I think, you know, the the, the current experience, uh, of working with the Greens, um, f- has been very positive. Um, the, the relationship we have with with the Greens is is excellent. Uh, we talk about good ideas. They have good ideas. Um, and so there's opportunity for us to do good things on behalf of British Columbians. And that's what I really like about PR. Hmm. Forces us as elected officials to work together on behalf of British Columbians, rather than to work against each other just because I have to. Yeah.
1: Well, Minister, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today.
2: Great. Thank you for having me.
1: That's Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, Selena Robinson.
0: B.C. Green Party leader Andrew Weaver is going to join us next to offer his views on the government over this last year.
1: It was only a year ago that our next guest was playing a kingmaker of sorts. He was deciding whether to align with the BC Liberals or the BC NDP. Could have been a queenmaker. Could have been a queenmaker. That's very true. I I, I should uh, clarify that. And Well, Andrew Weaver, he's a leader of the green party is going to decide whether to prop up the governments in the wake of last spring's provincial election. And he opted for the BC NDP, putting them in power for the first time in 16 years. And he joins us today to discuss the past year in the legislature. Andrew, thanks for joining us on the show.
0: Pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been very, very candid uh, throughout your time as, as the leader and, and you were during the campaign uh, critical of the party that you eventually uh, connected with. Um, what have you seen eye to eye on in the first year and and largely where where are the where are the gaps there too
3: so the, you know what we were committed to was uh, reforming our democracy through things like banning big money getting that out we've done that at lobbying registration we've done that you'll see some more of that in the fall we've been working on that to try to get the influence of of big players out of the decision-making process in bc uh, that's one of the key Successes we've had we've also had a success in the development of a plan to actually reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, that plan is forthcoming. Uh, we're working with it, um, you know, on an ongoing basis. We've had success on uh, professional reliance examination of the way that was done. Uh, that's been supported both by uh, uh, industry as well as the the you know, associations involved. There was a recognition that perhaps the pendulum has swung too far. So we've got some success there. Some success in terms of the social program that we recognized uh, had been left uh, left aside for quite some time uh, and there's been some measures done in terms of housing affordability uh, but that also leads to some of the some of the issues the uh, the other side of your question is some of the uh, shortcomings well we're, we're still we're somewhat troubled by the fact that we're still uh, a year later um, talking about uh, ride hailing at some point in the distant future I mean we need to get moving on that and um, you know we're we're not terribly enthralled with the way the NDP have brought in the speculation tax it seems to be targeting um, it, it's not dealing with speculation. It's more dealing with, uh, paper wealth and, uh, mm-hmm. though we're still struggling with that. And then of course there's the monkey in the room or the elephant in the room, which is LNG.
0: Yeah. let's Maybe we can talk about that right away because the, that appears to be maybe a, a bit of a, um, maybe a nexus for your relationship, uh, eventually where, what's your hill to die on here?
3: So there's no question that, um, you know, I got into politics in 2013 or well, 2012, when I decided I was going to run Now, the singularly because I could not stand by as a climate scientist who worked very closely with the uh, BC Liberal government under Gordon Campbell to develop a strategy to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. I could not stand by and watch that be dismantled by the then C- Premier Clistey-Clark government. So for me, this is... Uh, the reason that got me in and, and it and it's important and I, I I have said and be very clear that you know show us a plan that allows you to add four to eight megatons the single largest point source of greenhouse gas emissions in Canadian history and somehow reduce emissions by 40 percent by 2030. Mm-hmm. you know this is this is a, a grand challenge so we want to see a plan that can do that otherwise you know this is yet another example of politicians standing up and say, saying one thing and doing another and, and we, we won't uh, take that very well
0: but can that math work?
3: I don't see how it can. I've been told it can. Show me how it can. Um, you know, I I I don't think it's fair um to for one company to come in, uh take up 8 megatons essentially the stock of all emissions and 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 that would translate to uh, everyone else in the province going to, you know, close to zero over the next few decades mm-hmm. including the shutting down of industry that already exists. I don't think that's fair, uh, and uh, I think we have incredible opportunities for innovation here. You, start, you see that in this, one of the successes I forgot to mention, is that the, the BCNDP have adopted much of our economic agenda, which was to focus on innovation. Uh, you've seen the rolling out of the Emerging Economy Task Force. You've seen the rolling out of the Innovation Commission and Innovate BC. And you're starting to see the work that work come to fruition. We've seen announcements, major announcements on... Um, super super cluster in in bc uh amazon's coming in and and we're starting to see you know the recognition that if we want to compete if we want to compete globally we won't compete just by digging dirt out of the ground because we internalize social and environmental externalities here in british columbia that other jurisdictions do so Mm -hmm. to compete we must be smarter more efficient cleaner and so that we can export not only our resources but the value added as well as the technology and knowledge and innovation that got them out of the ground in the first place
1: well, what if we reach year's end and final investment decisions are made with regards to the LNG industry and the government is moving forward on that? Where does that leave the BC NDP, or I should say the BC Greens at this point, especially since you guys have been pushing very hard with regards to proportional representation and the timelines aren't exactly going to match up there?
3: Well, I come back to why I got into politics. I mean, there is a, 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 there's a whole bunch of pundits out there who seem to... Um, i uh, spent a lot of time, you know, looking at politics, and, and I would, in some sense, argue somewhat simply. Uh, I didn't get into politics for f- proportional representation. I got in, as I said earlier, because for me, I could not stand by, as a climate scientist, I could not stand by step aside from a career right at its pinnacle, take a 50% salary cut just for proportional representation. I got into politics because I could not see, uh, I could not watch it. We, we in British Columbia have such potential for innovation to lead the world in terms of you know the, the decarbonization of, of our economy. And we have everything that you need to do. We've got wind. We've got geothermal. We've got smart people. We've got the most beautiful place in the world to live. So we know we can be leaders. So, so to me, it's 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 not about proper. I it's it's not even my file. But with that said, I will say that there's two checkpoints here. LNG Canada can make whatever recommendation we want. What's There were five major stakeholders um, internationally involved in the, pet, uh, pet, uh, the LNG Canada deal. We've told LNG Canada straight to their face, we do not support the generational sellout embodied in what's going on here. You know, people don't realize that we're not going to make money from this. We've basically given the resource away. The BC Liberals on April the first, twenty fourteen, extended the so-called deep well credits to basically every well in the province. We used to get thirty dollars and change as uh, uh, royalties for one thousand cubic meters of natural gas. Now we're under three. We, the BC Liberals in giving away the the essential upstream. Uh, royalties added in an LNG income tax regime to hopefully earn money down the road when when gas was produced. LNG, the NDP have said, you know, we're going to double down on that. We're going to exempt them from the LNG income tax. We're going to exempt the PSD. That we're going to we're literally going to build site C and produce electricity at twelve to fifteen cents a kilowatt hour to sell it to them for under five. I mean, this is madness in terms of uh, it's a, it's a, it's a corporate welfare on steroids. That takes what the BC Liberals have done to a whole new level. So, no, we're not going to stand by and support any measure of that that comes to the legislature. And uh, because it's inconsistent with good fiscal management, number one and two, that reduction of greenhouse gas
0: emissions. So, are you saying that, that perhaps a larger share of the legislature, which is certainly, if you had to take a little less uh, election results, mm-hmm. uh, the Greens would have had under a new uh, system of PR? Are you saying mm-hmm. you're prepared to forego that if the if the LNG decision is not the way you you want?
3: I have always said. Well, first of all, there's no. It's not about LNG decisions that we want or don't want. Companies can make whatever decisions they want to do. Um, where what we are judged to do, what we our role is, is to to determine what the government is doing in terms right. of right. But it, or it, but not. it's final investment so, decision,
0: for instance, if it doesn't go the way that you wish.
3: Well, you know, a final investment decision by LNG Canada is different from a final investment decision internationally. Um, we we will be very very troubled if uh, if a climate plan comes out that is not going to take us to forty percent reductions, and there is the government's cheerleading an LNG final investment decision. It uh, is not something that uh, I feel very comfortable with. Uh, again. To me, it's not about the the decision we make on that and down the road is independent of any prop rep. Referendum. Uh, The referendum is, you know, I guess it's October twenty-second. It's that's around the time of a final investment decision. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we've got other issues that we disagree with. The speculation tax, for example, I'd be quite clear on that. This is not a speculation tax. So, this is going to hurt some local economies without actually dealing with the issue, which is the issue of affordability. You know, if we want more efficiency of use of our housing stock, what we should be talking about is, uh, you know, Stratas that have no rental clauses and, and and then saying whether that is correct and whether we should empower strata councils, the power of eviction, but at the same time allow for more rentals. These are the type of things we should be talking about, not some hypothetical tax on somebody who, you know, may, may be working in two jurisdictions and has a second condo in Vancouver.
1: Yeah. Well, going forward, though, with regards to the proportional representation talk, a lot of British Columbians they, they're looking at what the proposals are, and I have to say, many of them don't mm-hmm. understand how these systems work. Is this a concern for you going forward?
3: Well, it's still early. It's the summer, like, you know. It's and 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 the the key thing is there is a question: you want to change or not? And and for for many this is inside baseball what they care about is voting for who they want in representation locally you know there's been so much disinformation and misinformation out there you know i i heard the interview you did with the leader of the official opposition arguing that this is bad for rural bc it's quite the opposite right now rural bc It has almost no representation in government. Uh, Prior to that, it had almost no representation in opposition. It's not healthy for an entire large area of our province to either have no representation in government or no representation in in opposition. Proportional representation would actually allow for representation in both sides, which is is healthy so that issues get debated and not um, uh, wiped uh, under the table. You know, there's been all this talk about uh, fringe parties, you know. Let's let's suppose you you know people talking. Oh, the Nazis are coming. Uh, outrageous kind of statements in the legislature. Well, you know, if there's a if there's a Nazi party, you've got a problem with Nazis. You don't have a problem with the party. Uh, and if you and, and 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 this is the type of um, you know the examples, crazy examples that are brought up. They're 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 not dealing with the issue. The issue is about ensuring of fairness in our electoral system uh, that uh, uh, it may seem complicated, but the information hasn't been set out. To it.
0: Do you have in mind uh, yet, because one of the criticisms, of course, that Andrew Wilkinson leveled about this is that the idea that there'll be some people in the legislature who will be, I think the way he put it was picked by party bosses, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to something that would, uh, would approach a, uh, someone who had either run for office and been unsuccessful or, or, you know, been in a, in a, a jurisdiction proximate to the one that might be represented anything like that do you already have in, in your own mind a, a bit of a vision on, on how it is that you would get um, new MLAs into the legislature in the system that would come closer to meeting that test of of relevance to someone in, in a community
3: well uh, the only uh- closed list MMP, uh, member proportional, is the one system that would allow for people to elect on party lists. I, I'm i with Mr. Wilkinson, if I'm given a choice, my choice is to have open lists. Yeah, okay. uh, so when I look at this and look at the three systems that are there, I realize that it's only but one uh, that, so I probably personally wouldn't vote for that one. The other systems are all about electing everybody. So, so again, yeah. you know, M- Mr. Wilkinson is, is he, it's clear, the BC Liberals are 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 right now are struggling. They don't know what they stand for. There's we, scandals are just beginning to emerge. Who knows what direction it's going to head? But but you know we've got but we haven't seen hide no hair of, of Mr. Coleman or, or Mr. De Young. In uh, you know we haven't hardly seen Mr. Wilkinson. And 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 uh, so I, I I think the BC Liberals are really um, struggling because they worry that their so-called coalition is not going to. Hang around for long, despite the fact they'll deny that.
0: Yeah, well, if you heard the interview, I mean, he was very clear. He thought he had the the party entirely behind him. But am I? Oh, I, don't am I- think
3: that's. <laughs> I I sit in the legislature, and I, you know. When you, when you, I mean, it's ironic, right? He was everybody's like, third or fourth choice. When you were the leader of a political party and you did not win under a system you're advocating for and you only won on the final ballot, I think it was the fifth one or something outrageous like that, you really should be championing proportional representation, not arguing you have the, the undivided support of your caucus when clearly you were nobody, very few, you were, I think he was third place on the first ballot. So, so that, that, that just doesn't hold water when you look at the, his,
0: uh, that statement okay uh, uh one other question on this one it sounds as if you actually will be campaigning on one of the options and not necessarily all three is that, is that am i right to that one um for,
3: no the the visa green party is we formally registered as a um or what you meant um, this is my father but a third party or whatever it is we we, we, we will be supporting uh, actively supporting purpo- a yes on proportional representation we have come as a party to to decide that we're not going to support any individual one over another I okay. can tell you that my preference is not one with closed lists, but I don't know what other people view and and for us what's important is that people actually you know they think about the bigger question do you want to or not and then go into, if, if you don't care, Leave it at that. If you want to go into the, the details, have a look because some, you know, and, and that's what I'm going to do is take a look at the three, and, but not advocate for one or the other. I, I have my preference, obviously, but uh, I won't mm. let others do what they want to do.
1: Well, one of the other things I think a lot of people are anticipating this fall is the rollout of the cannabis market, the legal recreational market here in British Columbia. The model that we're going to have here, BC, it's this hybrid retail uh, model with regards to both private and public sectors being involved. Is having the, I guess, former Liquor Distribution Board involved with this as a bit of a middleman, is this the way that we should be going? What do you make of the current rollout as it stands right now?
3: So, again, what we've been doing um, as a party and as a caucus, uh, Adam Olson uh, from San Jose, Islands is our, our critic and spokesperson on, on um uh the cannabis file what we've tried to do is ensure that craft cannabis producers here in british columbia are protected we know that there is already an existing industry it's all under the table obviously but there is there are quite a number of people who are making us you know they're living doing that so so in that sense if you look at what's happened in bc with craft beer we've tried to uh, to suggest to government that the model for distribution should mirror the craft beer model and and that supports, you know, distributed local jobs uh, around our province, protects existing industry. And and the distribution component of that, allowing, you know, the a central distribution uh, component, which allows a certain uh, quality control. And I, I think that's the right way to do it. It retains, uh, just it mirrors what we're doing with craft beer and allowing retail, um, uh, distribution from independent sellers is also what we can uh, do with craft beer. I don't, and I'm glad government isn't doing is having cannabis uh, retail being sold in the same place as liquor. I think that's um, setting a, a dangerous signal. But um, so I, I've been relatively supportive with the way they've rolled it out.
0: In in the early going, do you expect that the government's going to be the first drug dealers to lose money? <laughs>
3: That's interesting. <laughs> I know that when you look south of the border, excuse me to um, place like Colorado, um, the revenues that came in through the taxation were quite um, quite large. so I would suggest that it'd be very difficult for the government to lose money on this, but you never know. and if they did, well, I'd be asking the question why
0: well but you know the the, the price point, the new taxes, the extra money for enforcement, the
1: black market
0: persisting the, as the well. The black market persisting and the yeah. black market is bound to respond to this. Um, I mean, are, are we doing this for, uh, other than economic reasons, do you think?
3: Well, we've been told as a province we have to do it, which is the federal government have brought, have told us that by October it's gonna be in place. Get your, get your act together, provinces. So so our our as a as an opposition party, and we, we gave our advice and I, I mentioned it is to mirror the craft beer model. That's been our advice to government. And government has listened to, to that advice and has put in place a model that we think actually allows for the protection of our craft industry. You know, i i suggest that we it may not be completely right off the bat but you know i, I i'm willing to give them an answer on this because it's it's very complex to go from nothing to and, and a complete black market to uh to uh have government involved um let's see let's you know give them some time to sh- see how this goes you know if it ends up like a gun registry you know boondoggle that we have federally well then we have can ask serious questions if it ends up like a you know, uh, a, a pot of gold like they found in Colorado. Well, then, good for good, good for government. But good I, pun I there. too Good early. pun, nice pun.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that worked well. <laughs> I like that. Pot of gold. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't let's think. Not, we can... Let's not get into the weeds. Yeah, yeah like... <laughs> well, we can't top that. So um, I, I'll leave it there with you, uh, Mister Weaver. But I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
3: Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having
1: me. That's BC Green Party leader, Andrew Weaver. And that's it for BIV today. Thank you for listening.
0: Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave a review and be sure to find our stories in print and online at BIV.com.